Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So many of you, especially uh, here in St. Petersburg, uh, are probably familiar uh, with the website called Nextdoor. Uh, Nextdoor is a social media website that is intended to be hyper-local. It's intended to be just you and the folks in your neighborhood and focus on neighborhood things. It's supposed to focus on, on things like when is the recycle being taken out and I need a new bin or whatever else. That's the idea behind next door. Uh, in reality, uh, next door tends to be a place uh, where baby boomers can go to complain about their neighbors. Um, it has developed a reputation uh, online for being kind of a cranky, cranky place. Uh, I happen to be on next door and sometimes it is that. Sometimes there's, there's wild stories about wildlife around the neighborhood. There's all sorts of things going on next door, but it does have a, a Bad reputation, but there is a deeper, darker, angry neighborhood magic out there. I just found out about this a few months ago uh, because we bought one of those ring cameras that you can install outside of your house. We, like many of you, get Amazon packages all day, every day, all the time. And so, you know, to protect our packages, to make sure everything's going okay, we got one of those ring cameras on our porch. What surprised me when I downloaded the app for the ring camera was that there was a community similar to Nextdoor, very local, you're connected to the people in your neighborhood, except it's only the other people who have ring cameras. And if you thought next door was bad, if you've seen sort of the best of next door and the worst of next door online, you should see the ring community because it's bad. A few weeks ago, I saw a post on there where, where a neighbor was complaining. He said, I, I have a neighbor who every night leaves his house at 11 p.m. every night, like five days a week and doesn't come back until seven or eight in the morning. <laughs> and it's rude and it's inappropriate and he's probably doing something wrong. My and the person logged on, happened to also be a ring user and said, hi neighbor, I work third shift at the hospital. I'm a doctor. <laughs> and the, the guy was accusing of being like, thought he was a drug dealer or something, but no, 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 just wants to complain about, well, it, my dogs bark when he leaves in, at 11 at night, and that's just not okay. It's a, it's a tough place out there in the Ring Network world. But what is it, what is it that this next door, the Ring Network, and if, even most of our neighborhood association meetings have in common. There's a thread that kind of ties many of these together. And the thread that ties them all together is that by and large, we are a culture that is obsessed with security. We're obsessed with making sure that all of our stuff is protected. Now, is that a bad thing? Right? I don't want somebody to steal stuff off my porch. That's not wrong. 
But what happens for most of us is it's not just that we don't want stuff stolen off our porch. It's not just that we want to be able to complain online or, or, or see the officer at our neighborhood association meeting and tell them about all the bad stuff. No, no. We want something more. There is something deeper inside of us. It's not just that we want our homes to be secured, but we want financial security. We want job security. We want our kids to be secure and are safe. And we live our lives as if all of those things, our financial security, our kids' security, our job security, we live our lives as if those things are all up to us. That's how we live. And what's interesting is that in many ways, the, the church has been complicit in this too. This is not something that's a problem for sort of the, the, the people out there. They're obsessed with security and the church is just fine. No, rather, we have been complicit in this. Think of the ways that we have made our churches into enclaves where we carve out security by our own effort. I'm going to just surround myself with people that I like at a safe church so that everything is safe and everything is fine. Again, safety, security, these things aren't wrong. But when they become the thing that our heart longs for, when they become the thing that we absolutely chase, when they become the thing that we put all of our effort into, when they become our idol, they replace God. Think about it another way. We often talk about uh, different ways that our hearts seek to run away from God. And most of them we would agree with are bad, right? If I told you, if I told you control, is control a good thing or a bad thing? Most of us would go, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I know that God is in control, not me. So, okay. We see that. We understand that's bad. If somebody seeks comfort with their whole life, we would kind of look at that person and go, yeah, 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 that's not okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. If we said, oh, that person's always uh, seeking power, oh, that's bad. That person is, is always seeking the approval of others. Oh, that's bad. Hey, that person is really out for security. Yeah. I mean, aren't we all? Don't we all do that? That's kind of okay, right? And what happens is, for many of us, we have bought into and baptized our culture's idea of self-made, self-sufficient security. And by doing that, we have begun to trust in the security that we create. Our security doesn't come from God. It comes from our effort. It comes from our talent and our ability. And God comes to us and he says that this is not the way it should be. We just sang Psalm 121, and I'm grateful uh, for Michael uh, leading worship for us while uh, Nate is out of town this week. I apologize to you this morning because I made them play that complicated song because it is just the words of this psalm from the English Standard Version, uh, and I, I made them do it. I know it was tough to sing. That's on me, and I know that it's warm in here this morning, but we're going to get through all of that together, and the way that we're going to start thinking about this idea of security and the way that it becomes an idol in our life is by standing together, and I'm going to read Psalm 121 to us all. So please stand with me and hear this psalm. 
I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,500 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. You see, most of us live our lives as if all of our security has to come from our effort, has to come from our hands. And then we read something like Psalm 121. We read something like this text and all of a sudden it says, no, no, you shouldn't be trusting in how well you can perform, shouldn't be trusting in how well you can do and how well you can keep things secure. You should be trusting in God. And our hearts kind of go in a couple different ways. For some of us, we just sort of go, uh-huh, yeah, all right, um, we're just going to move right along from here. And, and quite frankly put, we just ignore this because it seems uncomfortable because I'm doing a pretty good job so far. Or for others of us, we just sort of say, oh, well, yeah, it's talking about trusting in God. Uh, that, that's just talking about how you become a Christian. This isn't talking about any sort of ongoing relationship. This isn't talking about any sort of ongoing trust. This is just something that I did once. And then I became a member of the church and now we're good. And so I can just move right along from this. But this is something that is active. Because what we do is we try to create security through our own effort. The reason we want to ignore this text, the reason why we want to ignore this psalm, is because we want to create security by our own effort, because we can control it. Think about it. How do you create job security? How do you create that? By having the best work ethic of anyone in your company. How do you create financial security? You create financial security by making good financial decisions, refinancing at just the right time, making sure you have all the savings that are just right, making sure you're austere when you're young, maybe going to community college for a few years so that your student loans aren't as good. We know know how to do it by our own effort. How do you create safety for your kids? Well, you control their choices and control what they're exposed to, and then you just absolutely make sure that they're secure and then everything is fine. We all kind of smile as I say these things, because what? Because we know that none of those things are foolproof. None of those things are true. You can have the world's most incredible work ethic, and your company could go under. You could make all of the right decisions financially, and then something happens. You could limit your exposure of your kids to anything bad. You could, you could make sure that you try to control their choices. And as soon as they're out from underneath your thumb, guess what? They're going to do what they want. We always chase security, but we can never get it. We always want to be secure, 
because we think we can control it. But our security was never meant to come from ourselves and our effort. You were not built to provide that kind of security for yourself and for your family. It's not how you were made. It's not how I was made. I'm guilty of this too. How many times when I think of things, even here at City Church, am I going, man, I can't wait till we pay all of our own bills, till we have a a nice round number of people that's sustainable. I I can't wait for that. Then my life is going to be good. Then I don't have to worry. Then I don't have to be constantly kind of going, okay, let me make sure I send the right amount of text messages to the visitors. Right? Engage, but don't, but don't be creepy about the engagement, right? Why, why do I do that? I do that because I think that the security that the church needs comes from me. Let me say that again because that is preposterous and borderline blasphemous. I think that the security that the church needs comes from me. How many of us have different areas of our life where that's true of us? Because at the end of the day, the way that we chase security by our own effort is functionally blasphemous. Because it says, I'm the one who needs to be trusted, not God. But our help doesn't come from us. Our help doesn't come from our effort. Our help comes from God. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. And he's talking about, he's talking about the mountain where the temple of God was in the middle of Jerusalem. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from God, the Lord, the one who made heaven and earth. So many of us would agree with that. We would say out loud, ah, yes, where does your help come from? Ah, my help comes from the Lord. Maybe you grew up in a youth group where that song was popular in the early 2000s and late 90s, right? Where you go, I know that song. I know the answer to that question. My help comes from the Lord. But even we who are Christians get this twisted. We think that if God is going to keep us secure, that that's going to mean that we have no hardships in our life. We think that security means everything goes the way we want and there's no struggle. But what does, what does the psalmist say God is going to keep us secure, that he's going to guard us from? God will guard us and protect us, what, from the sun and the moon? He's going to protect us from evil, and he's going to keep our going in and coming out. You notice what it doesn't say in there? It doesn't say that God's going to keep you from pain. It doesn't say that God's going to make everything easy and go the way you want. That's what I want it to say. No, it says he's going to guard your going out and coming in. He's going to keep you from evil. He's going to protect you from the sun and the moon. Which begs the question why God doesn't keep us from pain. I know so many in this church are going through struggles in relationships. They're going through struggles in work and in a number of different areas. Why doesn't God keep us from pain? Because without pain, we can't heal and we can't grow. We um, we had last night one of my one of my sons. This here it is. Um, my kids have some of my kids have warts on their feet, right? I think they you know I did when I was a kid too. It's just kind of the way it is. They're kids. 
There you go. Well, we had to freeze some of them off of the kids last night. Right? So there's nothing I can do to tell my three-year-old, hey, I'm going to do something that's really good and helpful for you. Which is I'm going to take li liquid nitrogen and poke you with it. Right? Because what does he think? All he can see is, Dad, this hurts. And I'm literally like, like, kind of like bear hugging him down onto the bed while Angie is like putting the thing on his foot. Right? That, that hurts. That's, all he can see is, why, Mom and Dad, why are you doing this to me? Because from that pain comes his healing. There, there's also something to be said about from, from the pain of Jesus comes our healing. We'll get to that later. But in our lives, pain is oftentimes God healing us and pain is God growing us. We even have a name for this. You know, you know what you call it when a, when a kid is, is beginning to, to get bigger and, and is having uh, just struggles and their body is aching from their, from their growing? We call them what? Growing pains. Our help comes from God. But that help is not that everything is easy. That help from God is not that no bad thing is ever going to happen to you. That help from God is not that all pain is going to go away. Not in this lifetime. The help that comes from God requires that we trust that His ways are not our ways. The help that comes from God forces our hearts to look to Him. Because all of us try to do it on our own. All of us try again and again. And it's exhausting when you are the only one who has to create every opportunity in your life, when you are the only one who has to, to keep all of your security in line, when you have to worry about every friend your child makes at school, when you have to worry about every conference room that you're not in in the office, when you have to worry about everything that is beyond your control, it is exhausting. It's exhausting. Because you just have to keep hustling. You just have to keep striving. You just have to keep building. It's enough to make anybody tired. I think it's interesting. One of the things that I, I love about this text is this image that God is not going to sleep or that God is not going to take a nap. That's sort of the difference between sleep and slumber. He's not going to have a good night's rest and he's not even going to take a nap on the couch, right? He's not going to do either, which to us sounds a little bit strange. Most of us have never wondered you know, I wonder if God takes naps. But that was absolutely a thing that people in the time that this was written worried about. They worried about their gods being asleep. They worried that, oh no, is God, is God going to be awake to hear my prayers? In fact, uh, at one point, God is, uh, one of his prophets, Elijah, has challenged the prophets of another god named Baal to a sort of duel. And while they're dueling, the prophets of Baal are not getting anywhere. They're, they're supposed to be lighting a fire and they can't do it. And Elijah's like mocking them like, hey, yo, maybe your God's sleeping. Or this is my favorite example. There is a, an ancient Babylonian text called the Enuma Elish. 
right? That you, most of you guys have read this, I'm sure. No, it's this ancient Babylonian text, and it's about, it's about the god Apsu. And this is the world's most relatable story, because Apsu and his wife Tiamat, they have children. And Apsu becomes angry and starts killing a bunch of people and sending natural disasters. And when they ask him, why, why Apsu are you sending all of these natural disasters? Why are you so ornery? Why are you so angry? He responds to the prophets and the people, because I have kids and I'm not sleeping well at night. This is what in, in the scriptures of this Babylonian religion, this is why God is angry because he has children. And he's not sleeping well at night. Now, all of us who are parents go, same. Same. But at the same time, how wild is it that they thought that their God could sleep, that he was slumbered, that he was worried, that he'd get mad because his kids stayed up too late the night before. That's not the kind of God we have. Not only is he going to care for us, not only is he going to guard us, not only is he the one that we trust in for our security, but he's, he's never going to let us down because he's not paying attention. He is always paying attention. He is always connected to us. This passage is beautiful because it not only reminds us of that first benediction where we're promised that the Lord will keep us and protect us, but we're also reminded of Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus was had this psalm possibly in mind when he said this, just the night before he was crucified, he was praying in the garden. Listen to this, because it's so many things are similar. It says, Jesus prays, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, Keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them, which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Even as Jesus is about to be crucified, what is he praying? What is he reflecting on? The fact that he keeps us secure. He keeps us safe. And it's not just him, but it's the Father as well. They are united in keeping us. They are united in guarding and protecting of us. And it's not just that they're protecting us individually. But rather in both the psalm where it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? And then it begins to talk about what God will do for us. 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 And in this psalm, he says, I'm praying this, not just that they will be, that they will be protected by us, that that protection will tie them together, that that protection will be a chance for them to be united. You see, the security that we have is through our union with Jesus, through faith in his death and resurrection. He keeps us from evil. And the greatest evil, the greatest pain that he does keep us from is the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And he keeps us from that. Not by just waving a magic wand so it goes away, but rather by giving himself for us on the cross. 
Because the greatest security we need is not from losing our job, is not from losing a relationship, is not from our kids being exposed to things they don't want, we don't want them to be exposed from. The greatest security that Jesus gives us is that because we have turned in faith to him, because we have repented to him and turned to him, we are truly united with him. We are secure because we are his. And so this morning, Jesus calls you and I to repent of the ways that we grasp onto and chase after security by our own effort. He calls to you and says, repent for your desire to create your own security. And then he calls us to turn and trust in him. And that's hard. That's hard because it's probably going to be pain. Things aren't going to go the way we want. But what he says is that I'm good and I'll go with you. It's interesting that this psalm is probably one of the most popular besides Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, one of the things it says is, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil, for you are with me. Do you notice he doesn't say that you keep me from going through the valley of the shadow of death? Rather, no, the comfort is that God is with him. And so we repent of our desire to create security. We turn and trust in him. We trust even as we walk into the unknown. And we don't do this alone because we are connected to each other. This is why we at City Church believe so much in things like city groups, believe so much in being connected to one another in genuine relationship. Because I'm quick to forget this, and so are you. I'm quick to forget the ways that I need to trust in God and not try to create security by my own effort. And when we're together, we remind one another of that. And so we are asking God to form us into a community of pilgrims who are repenting of our desire for security and are trusting in God as we walk into the unknown together through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.